0: privilege to be able to speak to you and, and on a subject that um, I've spoken about at our, at our recent conference that we had in Lowestoft, and Mike asked me to kind of bring it again uh, because this is a message that li- lives with us, lives with me and it's a, I want to th- this morning just to be able to talk really um, the subject is, is the freedom is found in the Father's love. I really want to bring that and I really just want to put that in the vehicle of my own story, my own kind of testimony of God, what God has been doing in me over the last few years and I trust that out of uh, my story and my weakness that God will do something in you and stir something in your hearts. Let's just pray before we um, look at this. Father, we do want to thank you for everything we've been worshipping you for already this morning. We are bowled over by you. And I just want to pray, Father, that as we come to just spend some time focusing on your love, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you'll just be working in our hearts this morning. I pray you'd speak to each one of us afresh, bring us a fresh revelation of your love this morning I ask and I pray you'd help me just to communicate what's on your heart for us this morning and that we would leave just having encountered you ahead of anything else we pray in your name Jesus and for your glory. Amen. So I truly believe that uh, freedom is found in the Father's love and I hope that by the end of this kind of short time together that you'll agree with me Uh, and if you don't if you could just kind of pretend that you agree with me that would make me feel a whole lot better. We want to start, first of all, uh, with some input from our good friend, J.I. Packer, uh, who makes this very bold statement in his book, Knowing God, in chapter 19, possibly the best chapter of a book ever written. Um, In chapter 19, he says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought... That prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Bold statement there. Uh, Our understanding, if it's not the thought that prompts our whole thoughts and our whole life, then we don't understand Christianity very well if we're not relating to God as our Father. Now if you'd asked me three or four years ago whether I knew that the Father loved me, then I would I've said yes, reassuringly so. I was an elder to the church at the time. Um, and you would be reassured to know that I would have said yes. Of course, I know that the Father loves me. And I would have probably questioned in my mind, why have you asked me such an obvious question? Um, not because I, I was considering myself so lovable or anything like that, but really because I would have just given you a very technical answer. I would have gone through the scriptures and said, it's clear from the Bible that God loves me. It's evident from the fact that Jesus was sent and went to the cross. That's evidence enough, isn't it? that the Father loves me, I know that. And it would have been probably quite a technical kind of answer in terms of describing whether I knew that the Father loved me. And I think that technical answer probably would have given you a bit of a revelation of probably my underlying nature of my relationship with Father God. Very real, reassuringly so. (laughs) I was definitely saved. Uh, But probably more businesslike than affectionate, to be honest. Uh, I would have known he loved me, and I could point to you the reasons and an argument why, and I would have had an, an experience of that. But actually, it was probably more of a business-like relationship than it was an affectionate one. I would have had quite a tick-box mentality towards the love of Father God. That actually, I would have said, yes, I know he loves me. That box is ticked, definitely. Now, let's start talking about something far more important. We've got a world to save, we've got church to build, we've got projects to run. You yeah, let's get on with the real stuff. Yes, yes, I know that the Father loves me, yep, that's great, but let's get on with the real stuff, the real meaty stuff. I would have had quite a tick box kind of mentality towards the love of the Father. Yep, job done, now let's move on to the real meat. That's fine if you just become a Christian, and yes, I'm, I appreciate you probably get quite excited about it when you first realize it, yep, yep, yep. But we, we're a bit more mature now, we've kind of gone a bit down the track we've got more important stuff to deal with i think particularly as leaders now whatever capacity you're a leader i presume that's probably one of the reasons you're here today i think particularly as leaders we're prone to slipping into this kind of mentality fueled by the, uh, the sense of the size of the mission that is in front of us uh, the expectations that others put on us and we put on ourselves to kind of have it all together and to be kind of demonstrating that the life to be imitated We want to provide strong leadership and even I think our British, for those of you who are British, our cultural stronghold of we just want to kind of give the right image even though it's not necessarily what's going on inside. We're very prone I think to slipping into this mentality. But my experience has been of of living in the tick box is really that it isn't actually a whole lot of fun as a Christian. Now three or four years ago or plus, if i if you'd asked me about things like evangelism, I would have said to you, yes, I know that we need to evangelize. I know that we need a, there's a world that needs reaching. But my motivation, being honest, was probably fairly low. It was more of an obligation, duty-based focus towards evangelism rather than a heart thing. Uh, my neighbor, one of my neighbors is um, a, a really nice guy. He's got family, plays golf every Sunday, goes out cycling. He's got a good income, so he can spend on nice holidays And if you said you need to be evangelizing with Steve, I would have said, yes, I know. But actually, his life looks quite good. And actually, I don't know if I really want to spoil all his life right at the moment. (laughs) Actually, yes, I know he needs to go to heaven. I appreciate heaven, hell. Yeah, it's not great going to hell. But maybe for his benefit, we hold off a little bit. And if he can just kind of do the Christian thing right at the end, he has all the fun in his life. He gets to still play golf on a Sunday morning and he gets to heaven and everyone's a winner. Now, I wouldn't have said it quite as explicitly as that, but I think there was that in my heart. It was like, actually, his life looks a bit more fun than mine. Actually, I'm a bit jealous of his life, and if I could maybe alter our service times, I'd quite like to go and play golf on a Sunday morning <laughs> instead. If you would asked me about compassion for the poor, yes, I would have said, I, I, we need to be helping the poor. It's in the Bible. It's in God's heart. But actually, it, was, it probably wasn't in my heart as much as it is in God's heart. And I said, yes, I want to help the poor, but... My way of helping is by giving, and you know, that means that they get helped, and it's quite a nice little arm's length away. I'm happy to give. I'm happy to give on comic relief. I'm happy to give on a special offering, but I'm not sure if I really want to get my hands as dirty as maybe I'm expected. Maybe even things in pastoring people, uh, you would have, uh, if you dug into my heart, you had a sense of, yes, I appreciate you're struggling with that, and I understand your problems, but it would be better for all of us if you could just keep them a little bit quiet because we've got a job to do, okay? And if your problem means we can't do the job, well, let's do as much as we can to paper over the cracks, and then we can crack on with the job of building church. If you can keep it as quiet as you can, that would help all of us, wouldn't it? I trust it wasn't quite as explicit as that, but, you know, maybe you'd have to do a bit of a poll of the church, and maybe they would, of my church, and they would maybe say it was. This tick box kind of mentality towards the love of the Father was best demonstrated in my life at a leadership training session back in Norwich in September 2009. And Tony Thompson was doing a session with us on vision, uh, and he, he was said to us, everyone needs to stand up and give a two-minute speech about what is the vision for their life. And those people got up and said some very profound things. And then one guy stood up, he went over to the flip chart, and he got a pen, and he just drew this big heart on the flip chart. And he just said, my vision of my life is all about knowing the Father's love. And he recounted in this two minutes how he'd spent, in his words, the whole of his summer lying on his back, enjoying the Father's love. And he said, that's the vision for my life. Now, on the way home from that session, with my friend Pete, he'll testify that as we're going on the train from Norwich to Lowestoft, I just mocked this guy. I was like, what? planet is he on? I mean, fair enough, it's great to know that God loves you, but how can you spend a whole summer lying on your back enjoying the Father's love? Surely there was something more productive he could have done with his time than lying on his back enjoying the Father's love. I'm sure this is not relating to any of you, but I'm just, it's therapeutic for me to tell you kind of my journey. For <laughs> The following year... In about October 2010, this is all going somewhere, um, I, you in October 2010, I was provoked by God uh, to attend the Father's Heart Conference in Bedford, in King's, the King's Arms in Bedford, because I understood from the guys there that it had been a really important message for them as a church, and as a, as a good and upright church leader, or as a part of an eldership, I felt if it was important for them, and clearly things are going quite well for them, maybe you know, we've got something to learn from it. So I put myself and my wife in uh, without really asking her, to be honest. I thought it would do her some good. Um, and I could learn some things. Um, and God did something very, very powerful in both of us at that time. Probably more on the inside than on the outside, but something really kind of shifted in our hearts on that conference. And what God has shown me at that time and since is that knowing the love of the Father isn't supposed to be like an academic exercise. It's not supposed to be... For just for books. It's not even just supposed to be for over-emotional Christians that haven't got enough to do with their time, like my good friend from Leadership Training. But it's supposed to be a daily reality for all of us. It's something we're not supposed to just say, yes, I know that, now I'm going to get on with the important stuff. This is supposed to be something that fuels us and drives us. As a little footnote, you'll be pleased to know that I did I feel very convicted about my mocking of my friend from leadership training, and I did subsequently go back and confess and ask his forgiveness, which he graciously gave me. God has a habit of doing that, doesn't he? He has a habit of not letting you get away with the things that you really would like him to let you get away with. I've come to see that my own personal freedom is directly linked to my understanding and experience of the Father's love. The more I understand and experience it, the greater freedom i found in my life. And as I found a small measure of freedom, I realised that life with a tick-box approach to the Father's love is not God's choice for his sons and his daughters. That's not what he intends us to approach his love with. Now, you might be kind of sitting there thinking, well, this is all very interesting, and I'm glad you're kind of very cathartically getting out all your kind of angst, Ben, but how is it relevant to me? Well, I really believe that we should be pursuing freedom with all of our heart personal freedom in our relationship with God. And I found that actually I thought I was fairly free until I started tasting more of it. And then I realized actually I wasn't as free as I thought I was. And I think for us that actually we live, we should be pursuing freedom with all of our heart. It's what our inheritance is in God. It should be our defining characteristic as Christians, should be freedom. And it says in Galatians 5, 1, doesn't it? For freedom Christ has set us free. That was that was one of the major um, reasons that he came. 2 Corinthians 3:17 says, "For the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." It's like inherent in the kingdom, isn't it? Where the spirit of the Lord is, He brings a freedom. There should be the smell of freedom. Bill Johnson says, "You can recognize citizens of heaven by their freedom." Wow, that's that's quite an interesting test case, isn't it? Can we re- are we recognized? by our freedom are our churches places where people come in and think there's something different there's a freedom here is that how it feels are we recognized by our freedom because i believe so more and more that this is our inheritance this is what jesus died for was for us to be free i truly believe that if we get hold of the father's love then we'll not only experience the greater joy of personal freedom but actually we'll start to build churches that transform our communities because free people bring freedom. That's, that's what, what is a characteristic of the kingdom. If we're free, we will bring in freedom in the communities around us. Jesus was surely the freest person to have ever walked this planet. And he was and continues to be quite attractive, doesn't he, to people? I mean, he's not done a bad job, has he, of starting a movement. There's something attractive about the quality that Jesus had. If we want to attract more people into our churches, then we need to build Christ-like communities that non-believers look at and they're amazed by. And I think freedom is such a key part of that. We want people to to come against us as churches and as Christians and be amazed by our freedom to love each other, our freedom to love the unlovely. We want people to look and say, I just don't understand how you are so free to love people that are unlovely. People, even your enemies, that you are free to love them that they're amazed by that we're free from being judgmental, that they come amongst us and they say, well, I just don't feel judged by you. There's a a different taste of freedom in this place. Freedom from being offended by everything that's said. Freedom to be able to handle suffering without getting bitter. That's the testimony. That surely is what the testimony of the church should be, that people's experience is some different kind of freedom, freedom in joy and in peace. This life of freedom is, is surely defined for us by Jesus. He, he was freedom personified, wasn't he? He was freedom in a person. And a big moment for me in my own journey was when I put together the fact that Jesus was the freest person to have ever walked on the planet earth, and the fact his identity was rooted and shaped by his understanding and experience of the Father's love. When I realized that those two actually were connected, it really helped me understanding this whole message of the Father's love and brought a sense of confidence to me that if it was good enough for Jesus and it was crucial in his life then that's kind of good enough for us isn't it really if, if he's our if he's our gold standard in everything and if it was crucial for him then it's got to be crucial for us so I just want to take a moment just to look at um, Jesus's life and see how him being free and how he experienced and, and was rooted and identif- his identity was wrapped up in the father's love how that made a difference and how it can make a difference to us. If we go to uh, Luke 3:21, uh, Jesus' baptism I know you're very, very familiar verses to us, but Luke puts it like this. He says, "Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, "You are my beloved son, with you, I am well pleased." Jesus' entire freedom was rooted in the Father's approval of him. And what's so stunning about this is that the Father's approval came before Jesus did anything. It was before he did any miracles, wasn't it? Before he started any kind of ministry at all. The Father's approval was on him because he was working from approval, not for it. Jesus' whole identity was shaped up in how his Father felt towards him and his identity as a son, He's a man who's totally secure in the Father's love and approval. Jesus wasn't striving to impress anyone because he knew that actually he didn't have to win approval from people. He didn't have to wow the crowd. He didn't have to get the love and adoration of everyone because he knew actually my Father in heaven approves of me. Before I've even set foot out and done any miracles, I know that I'm approved by my Father. And you know, that was the I've come to see that was the, 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 the foundation stone for Jesus' life. That's why he could do so many of the things he did, was because he knew and was secure in his father's approval. His ministry flowed from approval, not for approval. Because then it goes on to spin onto so many other things. When we realized, when I realized myself that that was such a crucial aspect of Jesus' life, his identity was shaped by it, it then frees him up to do so many things that we struggle with. So In in John 12, it talks about how um, uh, Jesus says this. He says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Because Jesus was secure in his Father's love, he was then free to speak the Father's words. There wasn't a sense of uh, Jesus lacking confidence in what he had to say or a a thing where he's a little bit timid and he was a bit insecure. And it even wasn't that Jesus felt he had to bring his own message. Because he wasn't trying to impress anyone, because he knew his father loved him, he was able just to bring the father's words and be totally happy with that. He wasn't trying to carve out a ministry for himself, or make himself feel better because his words were clever and articulate. Jesus was totally happy just to speak what the father said to him. I mean, how many of us feel that we have to kind of bring a clever word or we have to do something a little bit special because actually what we really want is the approval of people around us to make us feel better. Say, oh, that was a well-crafted sermon. You're so clever. You did this so well. Um, not that me. People say that to me, but I'm sure for you that's the case. How many of it, because actually we love the approval of people, don't we? But actually, the more we get our approval from God himself, it frees us up. To say, actually, I'm not living for your approval, because I already have it from him. Therefore, I can speak the Father's words, I can speak his words into your life, and I'll let him do the work. That's Jesus' example to us. He wasn't under pressure to deliver on his own. He spoke under the authority of his Father. Because he was secure in the identity of the Father's love, he was also free to do the will of the Father. It says in John 5, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus was free to do the will of the Father. Again, he wasn't trying to come up with some clever strategy. He didn't sit down with the disciples and have a brainstorming session. How can we take this land? How can we get this gospel out? He just said, look, I'm I'm doing the will of my Father. And he'll direct me. He'll guide me. I'm, I'm trusting him. Not, again, because he wanted to have to try and devise some clever strategy but he just secured my father i trust him i'm secure in his love and i'll let him do the work i know that i'm here to carry out the works the father has for me he wasn't frustrated by those he didn't think actually i think i can do it better father i've got a, a great little idea that i've picked up from over here and i think if we take that and we shape it actually this could be dynamite you know he said, no, no, I'm secure. I trust my Father. I know him. He loves me. He approves of me. And I'm just going to do the will of my Father. We see in Jesus and the relationship with Jesus and the Father such a total, total trust and security. It's such an example to us, isn't it? And because he was free in the, the Father's love for him, he was also free to reveal the Father to us. In John 8, it says, They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. Jesus, this was a big moment in my own journey that I've realized that actually Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. He came to show us the nature and character of the Father. If we think, well, what, what does the Father look like? We just look at Jesus and we see a mirror image, don't we, of the Father. Again, Jesus wasn't out to Boost himself up to give himself great credit ratings and see everyone look to him. He was actually on a mission from the Father and he was totally happy with that. He wasn't tweeting how many people turned up at the the feeding of the 5,000. Well, actually, if you add in sort of pregnant women and children, it was probably about five and a half. And because I'm a church leader, I'll add 10% onto that. So that's yeah, if I didn't get his approval from that, it was like actually, I'm here to reveal the Father and I just want you to meet my father more than anything. It's not about me, actually. It's about him. And he was also free to bring us access to the love of the father. John 17 says, I righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Staggering statement here that Jesus is heart's desire was that we would experience the same love that he experiences from the father himself he wasn't even saying look i know i'm special i'm the son of i'm your son after all and you know maybe you could give them a little bit of what i've got jesus wasn't trying to hold it all for himself try to hold the blessing hold the glory he wanted it for us he was saying father give them exactly the same amount of love you've poured into my heart pour it into these guys as well I mean, what a free guy. I mean, he wasn't bound up by insecurities. He wasn't bound up by trying to get approval from those around him or to keep it for himself. Jesus demonstrates to us what it is to have someone who's totally secure in his Father's love and what that then springs out into, the the character it brings, which is just phenomenal, isn't it? Seeing that Jesus' top priority was to do everything out of his relationship with the Father is just so important for us to see. It was, It's central to his entire life on earth. Jesus didn't have a tick box approach to the Father's love. He didn't say after his baptism, right, thanks Father, I know that, right, now I've got to get on with this stuff. When we read through the Gospels, we see that actually he spent as much time just in his Father's presence as he did anything else. Mike Breen says this, he said, Jesus inhaled the Father's presence in order to exhale the Father's will. Almost as natural as breathing to Jesus was that sense of, I need to know the Father's love. I need it in me in order to then be able to do his will. Jesus models to us what a person can accomplish who is rightly related to the Father and powered by the Holy Spirit. So I guess the question for all of us is, am I as free in my own heart as Jesus was? I trust that most of us would probably say no, I don't think. If Jesus was 100% free, if he's our gold standard, then how free am I in my heart? How free am I? Do I am I insecure? Am I looking for approval from my, my work, the people around me? How much I think God's blessing me from the behavior of my children, uh, behavior of my wife? Uh, what, do I, what am I looking for approval from? Where do I get my approval from? How free am I in that? Well, if we are probably soberly assessing these things, we'd probably be quite honest and say, actually, we get a lot of approval from the stuff around us, don't we? But if Jesus is the gold standard, then we want to be going there, don't we? I, I myself, as I found more and more freedom in this area, you suddenly, suddenly realise, actually, I thought I was fairly free. But now, Lord, you're showing me that my motives and my heart is nothing like I thought it was, and I want more of it. I think we can see from the life of Jesus that the amount of freedom that we have is linked with our understanding and our experience of the Father's love. If we want to grow in freedom, then if we could have a look at our graph. So if we think that realize that Jesus was 100% free, and it's 100% free in in his heart, he was not in any way driven by motives that were in any way unhelpful or trying to get approval from others. And we can see, actually, he was also 100% fully understood and experienced the Father's love. So for us, we're somewhere on that dotted line, aren't we? If we say, actually, I've, you know, I'm about 50% free in my heart, in truth, my motives, oh, I'm not sure where I am. Sometimes, Some days 50, sometimes actually I, I think I'm down here. Then I think we can walk, look across and see, actually, it's directly related to how much we understand and experience the Father's love. This is my own journey myself. So if we want to grow in freedom, then it makes sense. If we want to go up that line towards greater freedom in our own lives and in our own hearts, then actually the way to do it is for us to increase our understanding and our experience of the Father's love. Because as we do that, we find freedom. So how do we grow in our understanding, first of all, of the Father's love? Well, in theological terms, if you struggle with the term the Father's love, then it's interchangeable with the doctrine of adoption actually, if that's something you find it's an easier term to use, we need to grow in our understanding of the doctrine of adoption. As leaders, we need to lead the way in living out a correct balance of the doctrine of adoption and the doctrine of justification. We need to be leading how actually those things are correctly balanced. It's not an easy to do thing to do. And obviously, over church history, we've seen kind of swings to one extreme or the other. But the call on our life is to show and to lead people into correct, balanced doctrine. For too long, the doctrine of adoption has been an neglected reality in Christian experience. Probably because there's been such a battle over the years for the correct doctrine of justification. and Quite rightly so. It's been attacked from all sides, hasn't it? And there's been such a battle on to to maintain a biblical and accurate uh, doctrine of justification. Our eyes have been taken off adoption And actually, it's been neglected, I would say, over the years. The focus of justification at the expense of adoption has left Christians and churches with a bit of an identity crisis. We know we're saved, but we're not sure about what it then means as a result. If we go for input again from our friend J.I. Packer, he puts it this way. As justification is the primary blessing, so it is the fundamental blessing, in the sense that everything else in our salvation assumes it and rests on it, our adoption included. So justification, quite rightly, is the primary blessing. Everything sits on justification. He goes on to say, but this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. And here's his line that everyone wishes they could have written themselves. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. It is a truly great thing, isn't it? to know that our sins are forgiven, that we're right with God the judge. He says, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. Wow, what a line. To be, great, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. Ephesians 1 tells us that we are predestined for adoption as sons in Jesus Christ. Justification was necessary, it's primary, it's the foundation stone for everything. But that's not the final point of the gospel. The pinnacle of the gospel is that we're adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. That's why Jesus came, not just to let us off the hook, but to bring us into family. And to bring us into the freedom that being sons and daughters really does bring. It's not that we should focus on justification less, but rather we should focus on adoption more. We need to bring it up and make people realize the final pinnacle point of the gospel. A guy called Dan Kruver in a book Reclaiming Adoption says this, to the extent that we can recapture the theological balance regarding adoption is the extent that the church will be transformed and our witness to the world will be radically redefined. It's that crucial a issue that actually once we really get hold of who we are in God, when we really understand and get freed up, we find greater freedom in our own lives as sons and daughters, it has a massive impact on our missional and our, our tr- ability to transform the world around us. And the truth is, for myself, that as I have started to see a little bit more of this whole the joy of the doctrine of adoption, you suddenly start seeing it everywhere, don't you? That you didn't see it before. As a, in a, as a church, we preached through the book of Romans over many years, uh, a few years ago. And when I was, came back from this conference and was starting to look into it more, I thought, you yeah, know, there's a great passage in Romans 8, isn't there, about our, our adoption. And I thought, God, when we went through Romans, I don't remember everyone, anyone talking about the doctrine of adoption. And I automatically assumed, I thought, well, it wasn't me that preached on that. So it must have been Mike. And I can't believe that Mike didn't talk about the doctrine of adoption. I mean, what's, what's he up to? What's he on about? It wasn't until I went through back through the website just to check who did preach on that passage when I realised it was me, <laughs> and I thought, and I went through my notes. I, thought, oh, I must have mentioned it. Surely it's such a key thing, and I go back through my notes and realise there was pretty much no reference to the doctrine of adoption there at all. So I obviously humbly kind of ask forgiveness. Um, there's a kind of a, a pattern in my life of thinking one thing and then God showing me actually no, you, you got it completely wrong. But when you start, when you start. St- God reveals something fresh to you. It's not a new truth. It's an old truth, isn't it? It's, a, it's rooted in, in, in history. But when he starts bringing in a fresh revelation to you, you start seeing it everywhere. So if we want to grow in freedom, we need to grow in our understanding of the doctrine of adoption. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's study it. Let's, let's start looking for it wherever we can. Let's get some, some great books, things like Trevor Burke's book, Adopted in God's Family. Uh, read chapter 19 of Knowing God over and over. That's such a great book chapter and many other books we can read let's give ourselves to increasing our understanding of the doctrine of adoption because actually as we do we will find ourselves getting freer and freer but the second thing we need to do if we're looking at our um, graph is that we need to increase in our experience of the father's love as well because as we do that we'll start moving up that line to greater freedom ourselves the father's love is supposed to be experienced by us through the holy spirit not just once, not just once back in 1994 where it felt quite good. I felt a little bit funny for five minutes, and I realized God loved me, and that was great. This is supposed to be an ongoing reality in our lives, but not just ongoing, increasing. We're supposed to grow in this, getting more and more of an awareness of the love of God for us. Dan Kruver again says this, Adoption is not just a great doctrine to be intellectually understood as part of a good systematic theology, it's meant to rock our world. I mean, when was the last time you felt your world rocked by the fact that God loves you? Really, not just yeah, that's great. Right, we've now got a list of agenda to do. We've got this to do. We've got you know. When, it's supposed to rock our world that not only have our sins been forgiven, but we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. Let's be careful Mike sort of referred to this yesterday. let's be careful not to slip into a spiritual gift snobbery, that somehow we say to the Holy Spirit, "Yeah, we really prize prophecy and things like that, that's what your main work is. Holy Spirit, would you come and do this?" ahead of actually actually the Holy Spirit's work in revealing the love of God to us. Because that's one of his chief roles, the Holy Spirit's chief roles, one of his chief roles, is actually to reveal the Father's love to us. Uh, we see, in Romans A, that great passage. It says, if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, that sounds pretty experiential to me. That's not just something up here, is it? It's, something, it's like a, whoa. He, calls, he reveals the love to us. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the chief roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us more and more of the love of God. We get more and more assurance of the love of God. We get more and more assurance of our place as sons and daughters through the Holy Spirit's work in our life. (coughs) Galatians 4 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Again, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I mean, this is an ocean of experience to be jumping into and delving into, isn't it? This isn't just a tick box, a one-off, know it, now I need to move on. The the potential for us to experience more and more the love of God in our lives is unending. We're not going to see it, this side of meeting him. So let's resolve to say, I want to know an increasing amount of this love in my life. Holy Spirit, don't just give me a, a, a gift of prophecy or don't just give me a word for someone whilst that's a tremendous blessing and we want more of that. But also, Holy Spirit, I want to actually just hang out with you and I want you to reveal more of the love of the Father to me. Because I want to know more and more what it is to be an approved son or daughter. Because I realize I want, I'm not as free as I thought I was. I want to be freer. And the freer I am, the more I can lead other people into freedom. And the more that we're all free, the more we can transform the world. So it's okay to spend time, as Julian Adams would say, wasting time with the Holy Spirit. Okay, you know, three or four years ago, that would have just done my head in that kind of comment. It's like, come on, it's a great, five minutes, at the end of worship, that'll do. But we've got more to do. You know, and I'm still not brilliant at it, but I, re- I can see how I want it more. <laughs> I can see the purpose and the value, because the more he can reveal the love to me, then the more I'm going to be free, and the freer I am, the better it is for absolutely everyone around us. Being saved and adopted into God's family doesn't mean that our thinking gets sorted on day one. Uh, If we think in the natural realm, an adopted child coming into a new family, yes, all the legal things can be in place. Legally, a child in that family, uh, get the new name. Everything says this child is now in this family. But actually, that child doesn't necessarily feel part of that family. That child doesn't necessarily, might grow up all their life Never really being able to receive the love of their parents because of rejection in the past, bad experiencing of parenting, and negative things in their life, that actually they can be in the family but not enjoying the full benefits of the love of their parents. Unless you say, let's tackle some of those thought processes that are holding you back from experiencing the love of your parents. Let's talk about the rejection. Let's let's kind of help you to see that your experience in the past actually doesn't, it's different now. You don't have to think like that anymore. And that's exactly true of us as Christians with our spiritual adoption. Just because we're saved and we're added and we're adopted into God's family doesn't mean that we're all living in the full benefits of that love of our Father. There's many Christians that are adopted but don't really feel loved at all by God. It's not because he doesn't love them, is it? It's because of obstacles in the thinking, things like rejection issues and... Uh, Bad experiences of parenting in their past, which then project onto God and say, "Well, I don't think I'm lovable," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are often so many obstacles in our thinking that we need God to remove and to refashion, in order for us to experience more the Father's love. There's so many misconceptions of the Father out there. Jack Frost, in his book "Experiencing the Father's Embrace," it's just such a great name. You have to quote him, isn't it, just to be able to say Jack Frost. Um, <laughs> He says, an almost almost schizophrenic view of the nature of God, that Jesus loves us, but his stern father is perpetually angry with us, has been ingrained into the mindset of many Christians. Whilst they foster a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus, they are frustrated when it comes to relating to intimacy with Father God. We can't be naive and stick our heads in the ground and say, well, you're saved, you're added, God loves you, now get on with it. We want people to enjoy the fullness of their adoption, don't we? We want the people to come into a place of experiencing that. I know for myself that as I've asked the Holy Spirit to identify obstacles in my thinking, he has. <laughs> He's pointed out, actually, that attitude in you is stopping you from really feeling like a son. So I was like, okay, let's deal with that then. So I've had to go to... I had a very positive childhood. But there's even things from how I was parented that I've had to deal with and work through because actually I've projected that onto God. And I know that my children will have issues from how I've parented them. So I've, I've already booked them in with Angela for a couple, about 10 years' time when they're old enough to deal with, through the issues. That I mean, I could write them down for you so you've got an advanced <laughs> notice of the issues. Because any of us, we we're less than God, aren't we? We're less than perfect. And I know that I've had to deal with things. There's, there's painful things that... God has highlighted to me, like uh, uh, there was a guy that I used to work with, who um, I would we did. It, there was clashes and tensions at times, uh, and I know that I judged him, and I know that I criticised him to other people, and I wasn't honouring him to him at all. And, and God, at one point, really said, "Look, your this attitude is an obstacle to to you knowing freedom. So you need to deal with it." It's Like, okay, so I repented of it, and that's great. And He said, "Right well, now, you need to go to Him and ask His forgiveness." Like, you're joking. <laughs> Surely just between you and me, God, we've sorted it. I'm, I'm, no, you go. and start, I was like, oh. But there's a moment in that point where I thought, will my pride let me go to this guy and to actually ask his forgiveness? And my desire to not compromise freedom overrode my pride at saying that because I thought I'm not going to compromise this freedom I'm feeling. I'm feeling something I've never felt before. I'm not prepared to go back in that tick box. So I had to go and speak to him, and it was, it was, he was very gracious, and it worked out fine. But I hated doing that. It was so hard, because your pride says everything different, doesn't it? But I was at a point that God had done something in me, said, I'm not going to compromise freedom for my pride. So it's a journey that we go on, but actually, when we start tasting freedom, we get addicted to it. You start thinking, actually, I want more of this, because actually, I'm not 100%. I'm way off it. And actually, it's just pretty good. This freedom thing. If it was a whole lot better, I want more and more of it in my own life. So, just kind of bringing this bringing this together. What 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 difference does it make for us ourselves? Well, Trevor Burke, in his book Adopted into God's Family, says this: God does not only justify people and then leave them destitute with nowhere to go; He adopts them into the warmth and security of His household. How many Christians are living spiritually destitute lives because they haven't understood and experienced the reality of God's adoption into us? How many of us actually are living spiritually destitute lives because we've not really fully, we're not on a journey of increasing our understanding and experience? How many of us actually are in the tick box where we say, yeah, I know it, it's true, it's technical and I'm getting on with the job in hand. How many of us get our approval from everything around us rather than directly from God himself? That's oh, true, all of us in some measure, isn't it? But actually, even this morning, as, I was, as the nerves were, were kind of rising before coming to talk, and it feels quite an intimidating audience, and you're all very nice, but you know, you're thinking, <laughs> why, why, why am I speaking here? There's people far better qualified. Do, do what, roots, what I just kept saying to myself is, I'm a son and I'm approved. Even if I stand up this morning and I'm hopeless and nothing, no one feels at all, kind of like anything made sense, and I just sneak off quickly home after this, it doesn't change my approval before God, because just like Jesus at his baptism, he was approved before he did anything. My approval isn't based on how many people on Twitter give positive remarks or not. Okay, I mean we all do that after sermons. Do you? Come on, we all go look and say, I hope people in the church kind of commented positively on Facebook about my sermon because there's something in us that wants that. But it's wrong if I get it from God, and I'm free from that. Jesus was free from that, and I want to be more free from that. So even this morning, it's like, I'm a son, and I'm approved. I'm a son, and I'm an approved. But it does make a difference. It does make a difference, because it frees us up. How many of us as Christians, how many people in our churches are living spiritually destitute lives? Because they've been adopted. There's no doubt they're saved, and they're part of the church. They're part of God's family yet they're not able to receive the love of the Father because of so much in their thinking and their experience. They're not on a journey of growing in that, they're living in the tick box. Now you might say that rather than getting all introspective and focusing on our identity, God, we really should be getting out there on a mission, we should be changing the world. But Jesus' example to us is that living out of a place of focusing on our identity in God doesn't lead to introspection. What it does lead is to world transformation. I mean, it worked for Jesus, so we should take our steer from that a little bit, shouldn't we? So often you, you, we kind of think, oh, well, it's just navel-gazing. It's all, it's, you know, we need to get on with the job. But it starts with who we are in God, and it springboards us to something far bigger and more powerful than we could have ever done on our own. Uh, Dan Kruver says this, Christians who doubt God's love for them will not mobilise for mission. Unless we know that the Father delights in us, even as he delights in Jesus, we will lack the emotional capital necessary to resist complacency and actively engage in missional living. The only people who can truly turn their eyes outward in mission are those who knowingly live within and enjoy the loving gaze of their Heavenly Father. If we could see our churches, or everyone in our church, moving up that scale... Well, you know, that propels us into mission. If we could see our church freed up from all our hang-ups, we could experience more of the Father's love, find more freedom, do you know, we can transform the world. But it comes from us knowing who we are first, us as leaders going on a journey and leading our people in transformation. Not saying, yes, I mean, you're not sitting there thinking, well, I know about at least 20 people that need transforming in my church, and they, need, they really need freedom. It starts with us, guys. It starts with us being changed and then leading other people through our own journey, they find freedom themselves. The church is the most powerful machine on the planet, yet the devil locks it up through us not knowing who we are in God. We don't act like sons and daughters, we act like orphans and slaves. When actually we start living who we are, we let God in, understand experience more of him and his love towards us, it transforms the church from a relic into a powerful machine. My own experience has been uh, that since God has been revealing more of this and my need to grow in my understanding and experience of the Father's love, I feel more passionate about evangelism than I've ever done before. It's changed my heart. No longer thinking, I don't want to spoil your fun, Steve, so let's see if we can sneak you into heaven at the last minute. Um, then you, win, you, get, you have your cake and you eat it. I now think, I want you to meet my Father. I've suddenly, actually, the Christian life, to be honest, is, there's a colour about it where there probably was a lot of black and white in my own life. I actually, you know, I say it quietly, but it actually feels a lot more fun than it used to. <laughs> I know it's not supposed to say that, but, you know, I actually find myself enjoying being a Christian. The doctrine of adoption and growing in this understanding experience and the Father's love has actually suddenly it, it helped it all made sense to me. something like, actually, I have a heart. I want to see people saved, yes, I want them to go to heaven, not hell, but I want them right now to start experiencing the love of their father. I want them to see their lives transformed now, not just for eternity. I found that actually I'm more passionate about, my heart's been changed towards the poor and the disadvantaged, not only seeing that it's God's priority, but he puts something in your heart that says, I want to see these people that are poor and destitute and disempowered, I want them to be given dignity. Sons and daughters of the living God. It changes my heart to say, actually, not only, yes, we ought to have that going on in church because that's a biblical principle, but it's like, no, I want to see it happen. We want to see people in our church coming off the streets, finding God and having their lives transformed because they've met their Father in heaven. We want to see the lonely, the widows and orphans put in family. Suddenly changes it. And I'm more passionate about pastoring people through to freedom than I ever was before. Rather than just keep it a little bit quiet because it's a bit messy and hopefully we can all get through and try and ignore it. Actually, I now think, I I don't want to see you locked up anymore like that. That's not your inheritance as a Christian. Freedom is your inheritance. Freedom is your birthright. So we're going to stick with you until we see freedom happen. It's like, it's almost, you can feel the heart of God as He does with us when He says, I love you too much to leave you like this. In a small measure, and there's a whole load way to go in me, I suddenly start feeling, actually, I love you too much to leave you in this place. We've got to walk through to freedom because freedom is your birthright and your inheritance. Suddenly, for me personally, duty has certainly turned to delight. And yeah, you have your days, don't you? But God has done something in my heart. When we as leaders are transformed, and as we increasingly grow in our understanding and our experience of the Father's love towards us, as we become more and more secure in our identity, then we can bring this same freedom and transformation to the world around us. Because free people bring freedom. And that's what we long for, isn't it? I'm just going to finish with this quote by another Christian writer who said this, the whole planet is waiting for Christian believers to rise up as adopted sons and daughters of Abba Father. The whole of creation is eagerly longing for you and me to enter into the fullness of what it means to be Abba's children. All are pining for the church to become what is always called to be a family of forgiven and freed up sons and daughters who are passionate about taking the father's love to the fatherless, whatever the cost. That's a great mission statement for us as a church, isn't it? (laughs) To be uh, freed up sons and daughters who are taking the father's love to the fatherless, whatever the cost.